at the end of the day, it's people that are behind these projects at the municipal offices. It's, you know, real estate's a human nature business. It's people that you have to convince. It's not necessarily policy because that's why we have minor variances and that's why we have rezoning applications. And if this type of a proposal that you're proposing is good for the town and you can let them know why, right? You can articulate that. Well, then you've convinced the people and the people give you the approvals. You have to talk to the people, not just the policy. So I think that's really important as well. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey, fellow Savvy Real Estate Investors, we are excited to sit down with Ryan Carr today, who is well known for his expertise in finding the highest and best use for properties here in Greater Toronto area. He's definitely an out-of-the-box thinker and enjoys the challenges of finding and creating a product that optimizes the highest and best use of the land and its surroundings. We got to talk to Ryan about his role in his growing organization, how he focuses on this you know, highest and best use, even when he is using his time, and how he has continued to creatively grow in an ever-competitive and changing real estate market. Ryan's actually going to be publishing his book on the highest and best use, so definitely look out for that. We will have him tell you the rest, so here's Ryan Carr. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for being on the show today. So happy to have you here. How's everything going? Things are going awesome. I'm uh, I'm pumped to be here. This is great. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's great to hear. So yeah, we'll just get right into it. Maybe you can start out by telling us a little bit about what you're up to. What what's a day in the life look like right now for for Ryan? Oh man, a day in the life. So we've got quite a few sites at any one time. We've got about 15 sites on the go. So that that takes form in various phases of uh, residential development, construction, um, and then obviously like rental properties are over and above that. So a day in the life for me is usually related to all of those things. Uh, general oversight of the business, making sure all of the trades are where they have to be, making sure the business functions as a whole, and then making sure the development is on point as well. That's it. Yeah, wow. 15 sites. That's 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 a lot to control at one time. So It's pretty busy, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You're a young guy. I mean, that's a lot going on. So, what when you mean 15 sites, you you mentioned a little bit it's 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 a mixture of development and then some just uh like redevelopment and some just general construction. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of what the mix looks like? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, we'll talk about the construction first. So in terms of a typical construction day, I mean, we do a lot of flips, uh, single family home conversions to duplexes, uh, some multifamily as well, interior renovations, that kind of thing. So there's typically two to six construction sites on the go at any one time. 
right? And then from the development perspective, I've got various infill lots around town. Um, I invest uh, just east of Toronto in the GTA, and all of our development sites are, are predominantly infills and typically two to multi-unit construction. So a lot of low-rise stuff for sure. Um, finding land, cutting land, rezoning applications, minor variances, basically just establishing what can we do with that property and how do we make money with it. Wow, exciting. When we do our construction as well, and it's it's so hard to manage all the different trades and all the, the management of these trades, what kind of team do you have in-house and what do you have uh, hired out? Yeah, so in-house, I typically run with a full-time staff of four to seven people. That's my, that's my general go-to. Um, most of these people are on the construction side. And then, of course, I have back-end support staff for property management or not so much looking after the books, but just like receipt intake, things like that, making sure that I can focus on operating the business as best as possible instead of getting bogged down in the weeds of all the logistical day-to-day stuff. For me, four to seven people is kind of about right. I've noticed in the past that businesses scale in the Fibonacci sequence. So uh, for any of the listeners, uh, look up the Fibonacci sequence. And what you do is you add the first number to the second, okay? And then you do a bit of a subtraction. So one plus one is two, two plus one is three, three plus two is five, five plus three is eight. Typical employee scale and business scale will scale in that same in that same sequence. And the Fibonacci sequence actually comes from Mother Nature. So it's very similar to the way that uh, cells and amoebas will multiply in a plant. Well, the business is an organic structure and it multiplies the same way. So um, for me, I've kind of stayed in that small scale range. Um, I find that there's not a lot of room in in business scale for um, being in the mid zone. So like if you have like 10 people, you might have to scale to maybe 15 to make that management and all the overhead make sense. But if you stay small, that can also work too. So I've just kind of kept it small, kept it tight and kept it uh, lean and efficient. And that's been my model for the last number of years. Nice, nice. Love that. Yeah, that's interesting. So definitely, definitely. I never heard that before. So I'm going to check that out. Uh, Can you spell that again for us? Fibonacci? Let me me Google this. Let me make sure it's right. I did a math uh, and engineering major. So I I do know FIB. A and no, no, uh, no. Good thing okay. it's not a spelling bee. Good thing we're in real estate. <laughs> uh, Fibonacci, F I B O N A C C I. Fibonacci. Yeah, that's, right, that's right. Fibonacci. Okay, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's neat. It's a neat sequence. I learned it a number of years ago and um, it, it works. Yeah, I know. That's cool. So, what is your role within the business? Um, you said, you know, work on the business. So, what does that look like for you? Is it primarily seeking out new opportunities? Is it managing uh, your staff from sort of a high level perspective? It's a little bit of all of the above. I really try to focus my efforts on, you know, where can my where can my time and my focus make the biggest bang, right? So, if that happens to be on site one day because you know there's some some circumstances that we have to deal with, well, maybe that's where I spend my time. But I really do try to focus on the high level strategies. So, how many properties are we going to acquire? How much financing do we need for that? Where is my focus in terms of, uh, of construction? You know, again, I try to put a lot of that off onto my site manager because they see this stuff every day. They know, right? They know what's happening on site. I don't necessarily know those things anymore. I don't know my tenants as much as I used to. So I really do try to focus on operating the business as a business first and let everything trickle out underneath it, as opposed to getting into the nitty gritty of the, you know, the day to day and going from there. Great. Let's go back in time a little bit and tell us how you got into real estate in the first place. How many years ago was that? And, you know, <laughs> what was your first uh, first purchase? 
Yeah. I'm an old dog now. How many years ago? Jeez. Uh, <laughs> it was, my wife and I bought our first house in 2012. So that was our very first kick at the can. Guys, I knew, I knew nothing about real estate at that time. Like nothing, not the cost of lumber, not where to buy paint. Like, okay, Home Depot was this place that you go to buy construction related items. But beyond that, I didn't know, right? I just didn't know. So that was my first go as far as learning what real estate really meant, um, fixing our own house was it. Uh, 2014 was when I went out full time. And somewhere in between there, my wife and I bought our first rental property and uh, rented it out to tenants. And you know, the rest is history. Here we are. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a quick jump. So you started with just your own property in 2012 and by 2014, you were full time. Yeah. Yeah. I got laid off from my job. Oh, you got laid off from your job. So it was more something that you pivoted towards because of... I guess it, you were in the right place at the right time. Yeah. It, you know what? It, it was all evenings and weekends to start. I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer that people should keep their job before they go and uproot their life for a maybe. You know, um, a lot of people in the nine to five space that do have jobs, they say, you know, get a new job before you leave your old one. Well, that same thing goes to starting a business, in my opinion. Right. All I, all I can do is say what worked for me. And I believe that if you're going to start a business, it's your nine to five that pays the bills, it's your five to nine that gets you ahead. Right. And that five to nine, I actually turned into like a five to midnight or one in the morning. So it was more than a five to nine. But I mean, I do firmly believe that that's where you should start. Yeah. You know what? I, I 100% agree as well because I went to the same path. Um, I had a side hustle. You know, I got my real estate license and we were doing uh, our own projects as well. I needed the. The, my nine to five job to qualify for uh, for more properties, you know, yeah. at the end of the day. It's a tool, you know, like a nine to five job is a tool if you want it to be a tool. A lot of people just aren't happy with their lives, aren't happy with their jobs, you know, and if you don't use that job to leverage you into something else, like maybe it's more mortgages or maybe it's a relationship with your employer or maybe it's access. Like when I was a mechanic, you know, it was access to the shop tools. That was a big thing for me at the time. This was pre-real estate. You know, so I, I was able to go in and use the hoist or use the machines. And I thought that was really neat. And it was, you know, and obviously your preferences and your choices evolve over time. Um, but you've got to use that job as a tool to leverage you into something else. Bottom line, that's it. Yeah. And I mean, that comes with s several years of uh, hustling, right? There's, you know, it's, you got you got to hustle for those years. I think people see sort of this established business now. You've got these employees, you've got this this great structure is very sexy, right? Like, it's like, it's great. You made it. And, you know, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes to get you there. Uh, what would you say has been sort of the biggest struggle over, over the course of the last 10 years for you? Oh, gosh, biggest struggle. Dude, that's the toughest question. The biggest struggle for me, definitely making the jump from entrepreneur to self-employed, or sorry, from employee to uh, self-employed was a, was a big big thing for me. Um, I grew up very much in a household where all of the male figures in my life were entrepreneurial and were self-employed, like my, my dad and my uncles and all this. So, I mean, I had a little bit of that, but I still also had a nine to five mentality where I was preconditioned just because you typically are as you grow up to like, you know, do well in school and go get a job and work till 65 and then retire. Like that, that's, that's just ingrained in us as kids. Right. And I found for me really letting go of that was like, was really, really tricky. And now that I have let go of it, it's, it's a very different mindset. Um, so to, to go back to that, I mean, I think I could go back to that if I absolutely had to, for whatever reason, like I haven't, I haven't lost touch with where I came from, you know, but I think that, uh, that my entrepreneurial mind is, is, is well cultivated now. And this is really where I should be. 
Amazing. You know, just a spin-off question to that. What would you say is that one thing or maybe a handful of things that's really helped your business take off? Because, you know, there's uh, so many investors that, you know, own a couple of properties, but they never actually scale. Yeah. In terms of scale for me, I've done about 60, I think it's like 64 or 65 properties now, something like that. Some of them being like full-blown construction, reno, rip the walls down, cut the roof off. Some of them being infill developments, some of them being basement apartments and, you know, flips and multifamily, everywhere in between. So I'm pretty well versed now. Like it's just, I think the biggest thing for me and and for my scale is just getting out there and taking action and doing it, but actually genuinely believing that you can do it and that you'll actually enjoy what you're doing. And I believe that, like for me, I just turned into a sponge. I asked as many questions as I could. I asked as many people for advice. I asked as many, like I asked investors that were ahead of me. I asked investors that were behind me. I asked everybody anything that I wanted to learn, right? And just by being a sponge, you learn all of these things that are really important, you know, and you really find out who you're, who you are inside as well. I believe that there's a, you know, there's an internal component to growing a business just the same way that there's an external component to to growing that business. Yeah, I know. Uh, it obviously that journey makes you a better person and a better entrepreneur. You know what? I got to start in that. So I found speaking of like knowing yourself and like the internal. So my parents actually, they found a, a personality test that I took when I was like 12 years old. Okay. And there's all kinds of different, like there's the disc test and there's a Myers-Briggs and there's 16 personality. Like there's all kinds of these things, right? So they came up with this package of like photos from when I was a kid and inside of it was this personality test. And I pulled out the thing and I'm like, okay, well, I wonder what I was like as a kid. So I'm looking at it and it was like, oh my God, I'm the same person just evolved into an older, an older human body. Right? Like I was very tactile. I was good with my hands. I was a leader. I was thoughtful. I've, I've evolved into be that same person that I, I still truly believe I am. Right. And it was really neat to see what I was like then. And then I was like, well, I got to, I got to go and do a whole bunch more personality. So then I did four of them online and I compared the results of current, which was, I believe last year to those tests from like 20 years ago. And it was the same. I think it's really cool. And I think it was really neat to learn that because I do genuinely believe that as, as business owners, it's our job to find out who we are inside. Like we're, we are given as human beings, we are given internal wiring, right? But we don't have a manual. We don't have an instruction booklet. We don't have anything. It's our job to figure out how we're wired and what makes us tick. Because once we figure that out, bang, it unlocks and you can actually feed your soul as to what you enjoy doing. Otherwise, you're dragging yourself through the mud and you don't even know why, right? It was so critical, so huge. Yeah, I know. That's, that's actually a really, really, really great way to put it. And I think that, you know, that's probably what's maybe helped you become a better leader in your organization because you've been able to figure that out for yourself, what you're good at, what you enjoy, who you are, and then you leverage out the things that, you know, you fill in the gaps, right? You got to put on your oxygen mask first. It's like being on a plane that's having engine trouble, right? The thing drops from the ceiling and they tell you, put on your oxygen mask first before you help others. Because if you can't help yourself, then you become a burden to others, right? You can't help anybody else if you can't help yourself. So I'm a big believer. You got to help yourself first. That doesn't mean be selfish. That means be aware right? And know yourself inside and out, but help yourself first. And then you can go back and help others. hundred percent. What would you say is, uh, out of the many different tests that you have done, personality tests is the one that you like the most? Like, was it Myers-Briggs or disc? I love the disc test. I just do. This is get simple it. and effective, I guess. Yeah. Right? DISC, you can, you know, you can, you can see it in a little visual chart. I don't know how many times I've drawn this chart for people. 
you know, where you put the DISC in the four quadrants and then you kind of circle which one you are. Are you introverted, extroverted? Are you like a stay at home mom where you just kind of like, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're shy or you want to work from home or are you a salesperson where you're like, I would drive in the race car and, and, you know, your flashy sports car and your, your, your Gucci suit and whatever, like, like what type of personality are you, you know? And I find once you know these things, I just love it, man. I just love it. Yeah, no, that's cool for sure. Yeah. We use it too. When we hire, uh, we've, we've relied on it for some time now. So we, we love the test as well. And I mean, speaking of all this stuff about yourself, what do you do to, work on yourself? I mean, how do you keep yourself motivated and what do you do to, you know, work on yourself? Yeah. To work on myself. I mean, again, put yourself first, right? So I like naps. I'm a nap guy. I'm a, get this, I'm a 27 minute nap guy. So if I have a nap, I'm not 24, I'm a 30. I'm a 27 minute nap guy. I don't know why, but like at 27 minutes, my body goes, okay, we're good. Wake up. And that's my number. Right. Some people are 15. Some people are an hour. I'm 27 minutes. So like that's one of those things that take took time to figure out. But I mean, yeah, as far as that goes, definitely, definitely nap guy. Um, I find it extends my day if I need more energy in the evenings. Um, I'm definitely more of a morning person than a late night, like a night hawk. So I've I've realized that about myself as well. I think too, taking time for family, if family's your your main driver, or taking time for hobbies is a main driver. Those are really important too. For a long time and a lot of years, I got so bogged down in the business that all I was doing was just like work, 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 17 hours a day, seven days a week, consistent and disciplined work too. Not like monkeying around, not like half the day on YouTube and Instagram, whatever, like for real doing things. And now I've come to the point where I don't want to do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. I don't have the same stamina that I did maybe 10 years ago, you know, or the same desire truthfully. So as far as working on myself, it's changing my day so that I can be most effective and productive for the business, not for Ryan Carr. And there's a clear difference with that. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny because we hear this sentiment more and more with some of the guests that we've been talking to about time freedom as well. Right. So structuring your business and your life so that you have more time for yourself ultimately. And I mean, you could continue to do more and more, right? There's no end. Really, really knowing, you know what, let's, let's drill down on that. So really knowing where your end goal is, is so clutch. Like if I had known 10 years ago where I was going as of like the seat that I sit in today, I mean, I don't know if my path would have been different or the same, but I can tell you for sure that I would have been a real eye opener because if you don't know where you're going, like, how are you going to get there? And now I have a, I have a clearer path than ever. As to where am I going? What am I doing? What's 2022 going to look like? You know, how many deals are we going to buy or what's going to happen? You know, I, I drill down on that January every year. Let's, let's figure this out. Let's go. Yeah. So goal setting. So yeah, maybe tell us about that. Like um, maybe you want to share with us, what do you see for yourself in the next one year or maybe the next three years? Like where, where do you see yourself going? It's a lot of IP based branding. So, I mean, like deals are fun and all that stuff's good. But uh, for me, right, my spark is really going to be branding. So I'm writing a book. I'm starting a podcast. We're doing some other media-related opportunities, which will be which will be kind of fun. Those will be released in the next six months or so. It's just all of that stuff has brand leverage. It has time leverage, right? And I'm looking to just level up. I, I spent a lot of time doing doing deals, right? Like nose down, ass up, doing deals. And it was great, right? It was a lot of fun. Now my interests are changing. And I think all of those things are still really, really important. That's that's a really great point uh, that you brought up. That as an entrepreneur, you we evo- we have evolved as well. You know, we don't want to grind as hard because 
once you get to a certain financial level, you want to take that more time off with family. You value other things, you know, because you can always make more money, but you can get that time back, right? Time is, what do they say? Time is the ultimate commodity? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's the real deal, man. That's the real deal. So um, yeah, tell us more about, um, you, you touched a little bit about your branding and your book. Tell us more about uh, your book. Yeah, the book, The Highest and Best Use. So I'm a big highest and best use guy. For real estate, I find that as the most pro- profitable, productive, or efficient way to get something done somehow, right? And if I look back at every deal that I've done in like the past 60, whatever, I look at that and I think there's some little kernel, there's some little spark about each one of those things that made that deal tick, right? And sometimes it was changing the zoning and just having new opportunity unlock or a severance. Sometimes it was something as simple as doing a vertical split apartment where I cut the house up differently than the next investor, which gave me the edge over the competition in terms of the rental market and bumped the cash flow up two to 400 bucks a month, right? Sometimes it was maybe the finishes that we chose or the dishwasher that we added, like something simple, right? But all of those things are such a big, big way to enhance somebody's portfolio because look, you're doing the action anyways. You're already buying that asset. You're already doing that thing, right? So if you can make that thing a little bit more profitable, productive, or efficient for you, then you'll start outperforming the market, right? You'll start doing better, right? And that's really what fuels me. That's the that's the creative side that I get that I get fired up about. You know, just just like doing a basement apartment or something is is fine, but like, how can I make it better? That's what I love. No, I, you know what? Uh, I'm so excited to you know read this book because it is absolutely critical, especially with the way our market is. Everyone needs that extra um, creativity a touch of creativity to, to make that uh, that deal work because you know we have we're you know um with the prices the way they are you know it's 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 hard to make the numbers work so you have to be think outside the box to make uh make your deal work it's true yeah pri- like the price of the assets right now is just nuts so a lot of people are changing markets. They're finding different strategies that work in their market. Maybe you're not uh, doing long-term rentals. Maybe you're doing Airbnb. Maybe you've gone from single families or duplexes to multifamily. Like you guys just picked up a massive project, you know, massive, tons of units. So like, that's, that's amazing. Changing, changing your strategy, changing your location, changing your, all of those things, super important. Yeah. But I think it, going back to that, it, you know, it is true that in today's market, uh, deals are created they're not found like those days of finding those, you know, back in the day, I remember we, we could pick anything up we wanted. Like we back, I remember even back in like 2012, like you just went, you saw the house, you measured it up. You're like, okay, I'll buy this. Buy that thing. Yeah. And then here we go. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here's $300 or $400 a month cash flow. Right? Yeah, right, yeah. Easy. It was, it was simple. Right. And, and there wasn't the competition you're dealing with today. Yeah. Even the wholesaler market's competitive. Oh, it's like there's great. multiple offers on wholesale product. I'm a big believer that good deals are found, great deals are created. I actually have a sign on the wall uh, in my office. This is a temporary office while I'm building my new one, and I, I have I have these motivational quotes on the wall. That one of them is "Good deals are found, great deals are created." It's the, like it's the real. You're speaking truth. Like it's the real thing. So many people are just like, oh yeah, you know, they see a YouTube pre roll ad and they're like, yeah, I just want to make ten grand a month. Okay, cool. And I want to do it from home. Like, okay, cool. And I don't want to do any work. Like, okay, cool. No, like you got to go and create that shit. Like it's real. Like you got to put in the time. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your portfolio. I mean, I know you're doing a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, are you focusing on buy and hold? Are you doing more flipping? Is it is it new development that you have? Uh, what, maybe just break it down for us. What 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 are what does that look like? Are you more? Are you still doing buy and hold? 
I am. I'm really not acquiring too many more properties in 2022, to be honest. Because I do want to focus on IP, that's going to take the majority of my focus. Uh, I do still continue to hold the properties that I've already bought, you know, and we maintain them and renovate them and make sure the tenants are happy. So that's good. Uh, as far as the pipeline goes for development, that still does continue to roll on in the background. I find development is generally a little bit more passive because, how do I word this? Here's the thing. So as an investor who maybe like understands a little bit about construction and a little bit about real estate and a little bit about finance, you could chop your way through and kind of understand enough to go out and like do that thing, right? But when you get into development, you have no choice but to hire professionals for the majority of the work that takes place. Like I'm not an engineer, I'm a professional nothing, right? So I have no choice but to hire an engineer to do a noise study or a bird study or a traffic study, right? I have no choice. You have to do that. Like I can submit all the land division papers. You're a professional entrepreneur. <laughs> I am a professional. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so like, you know what I'm getting at? So just, just by virtue of the way that that functions, you have to hire a lot of these disciplines because you just can't do it yourself because you're just not allowed, right? I do submit a lot of the land division paperwork and I still do a, a substantial amount of the applications in the background so that I'm fluent in all of these different aspects of real estate and of you know development in general. I want to be fluent so that nobody can take advantage of me. But that doesn't mean you have to be the best. And when I need somebody that is the best, you're going to hire that. Yeah, 100%. That's good advice. I mean, again, it goes back to leverage, right? And figuring out what you are good at and focusing your time on that. So how do you deal with all of the roadblocks in development? Because I know that... Sucks, man. Uh, yeah. Sucks. I, and, and, you know, <laughs> this is another thing, right? People think development's sexy. Um, it is, kind of. It is. It is. Yeah. But it's also... Oh man, it's a, it's, it's a hard grind. Like it's, it's, you got to have a lot of resilience and patience and all these other things because there's so many things you can't control. Right. Tell us about that. Like, how do you deal with time delays and, and, you know, what kind of roadblocks are you facing in development? Yeah. So the quick answer is you buy, right. Right. You buy, right. That's your hedge in development. You have to buy, right. In the right area, in the right market, at the right price, at the right time, you have to buy, right. You know, and I can liken that to wholesales. When you're buying a wholesale deal, let's just say single family home. When you're buying a wholesale deal, you're generally buying equity on day one. So if that house is worth a hundred grand on the open market and you bought it for 80, well, your hedge is 20,000 bucks, right? And if you really screw something up and you break even, well, you're okay. The same thing goes in development, in my opinion. So like when you're going in there and you're saying, okay, this is what I think we can do with the property. This is what I'm going to pay. And this is what I think it's worth when we're done, right? If you buy right, then you have the opportunity to hire those different disciplines. And then you have the opportunity to take a little bit more time because you know, development is so slow, right? But if you buy wrong and you just buy some spec play where you're like, yeah, I think it'll be worth more one day, like the greater fool theory. Uh, look that up. That's interesting. The greater fool theory. Like if you just, you know, you just go, go like, buy anything you want, just hope for the best. Like, I don't think that's a good strategy, but so many people are speculating in the market because the market is so crazy. So for me, my hedge is, is definitely buying right, really understanding what is common in that market, right? And then driving down on what is common in that market. Like if everybody's taking single family homes and making them into triplexes, and that's the thing in your area, then maybe you just carry on and, and do that. Don't buck the trend. The trend is your friend right? If you want to take a single family home and make it into eight units and you don't have the zoning, it's probably going to be an uphill battle because that's not common, right? And I'm not saying don't push for highest and best use, then maybe you just carry on and, and do that. Don't buck the trend. The trend is your friend, right? If you want something else I learned that with development at the end of the day, it's people that are behind these projects at the municipal offices. It's, it's you know, real estate's a human nature business. 
it's people that you have to convince. It's not necessarily policy because that's why we have minor variances and that's why we have rezoning applications. And if this type of a proposal that you're proposing is good for the town, you know, and you can and you can let them know why, right? You can articulate that. Well, then you've convinced the people and the people give you the approvals. You have to you have to talk to the people, not just the policy. So I think that's really important as well. Yeah, no, 100%. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, we've dabbled into some development and... Uh, so we can totally relate to uh, yeah and it's been hard there's no question about it it's been a it's been a big learning curve for us and but at the same time you know when you do get started like you mentioned you hiring all these professionals things move quickly when they actually start going you know uh, you have you have the professional contractors you're dealing with and and they can bang out the things very, very quickly, much faster than a, a typical renovation would be, you know? They do. So there's, there's three ways that I look at development or, or construction, real estate in general. So, um, and I talk about this in the book, it's, it's the land, the structure, and your own personal skill sets and time, right? Those are the three things. So if we're talking about development, I'll look at the land and I'll say, okay, what can I do with this piece of dirt? Like, can I rezone it? Can I sever it? Can I change the grade? Do we farm the land? Is it better off as apple orchards? Is it better off as a vineyard? You know, what do we, what do we grow? Do we put cattle on top, right? Like what is the highest and best use of that land? Okay. And then from there I say, okay, now we're into the structure. If I buy a piece of property that has a structure on it, what do I do with that building? Do I keep the building? Do I flip the building? Right. Do I tear the building down and put up something new? Right. Maybe it's not cost effective to renovate because the footprint's too small and I can't get multiple units out of it. Maybe I take it down and put up something bigger because I can make a better use of that footprint given the cost of new construction versus renovating the old. Or maybe I say, you know what? If I have to spend 300,000 bucks in renovations to bring this up to market value, or I can just sell it for 300,000 bucks less right now and make the same amount of profit but not have any of the work, maybe you don't fix the structure at all, right? So that's how I'm looking at structures. And then in terms of skill sets and time, like what are you good at? You know what I mean? Like I've made this, this reference before, like a duplex investor is probably not going to be the same person that's building a hospital, you know? And like, if, if, if duplexes are your thing, institutional buildings probably aren't, at least not yet. And you can make that jump, but it'll take a few projects in between to get there. Right. So, you know, what do you, what do you get at? What does your day look like? How many employees do you have? What, you know, all of those things do a disc test, right? All of those things are just so clutch. Really knowing yourself is, is super important. So those are the three ways that I look at every deal. Yeah. And, and how do you find your deals, Ryan? Is it stuff you pick up on the MLS or are you doing marketing? What's, where are they coming from? Both MLS, not, not as much MLS anymore, just because it's a lot, but, uh, MLS and private, uh, I used to be about 50, 50, give or take, uh, I swayed a little bit more private in the most recent years, but, but, you know, I would still confidently say it was 50, 50 for the majority of the time. The thing with MLS is that when you look at a deal and you look at how many people see that deal before you do, right? You've got, you've got the, the seller and then you've got the seller's agent, right? Maybe the sellers talk to five agents, right? Then they finally settle on an agent. Well, then that agent takes it back and they show maybe the deal secretary. And then the deal secretary tells their parents, right? And then their parents are like, oh, I know some guy who might be interested in that property. And then it goes out to the marketing person and the photographer and maybe the contractor doing the touch-ups and all of these different people see this deal before you do. And then finally, it ends up in your inbox like two weeks later. So after you actually get that thing, it's been picked over like by 12 to 15 people at least, 
and people are wondering why they can't find a deal, it's because, well, you're going to the, you're going to the convenience store, right? You're going to the general store of real estate when you're buying on the MLS and it's convenient, which is great, but that means you're paying a higher price, right? And it's the same reason that you pay more for milk and eggs and cheese at the local convenience store on the corner. It's because it's convenient and it's right around the corner, whereas you can get it at a discount at a wholesaler. Right. Yeah. No, that's so true. Very interesting perspective on, yeah. And then, you know, we should, we take a lot of that back and apply it how, you know, all your lessons that you're highest and best use of everything. Yeah. It's a different perspective for sure. To start thinking like, what's the best use of this? Um, I do that a lot with my business, like highest and best use of my time. It's great to look at it from the deal perspective, but like legit, what is the best use of my time? You know, is it, is it releasing a book and doing podcasts and all that stuff? Like that's a great use of time because that lives forever and ever in a day. Right. And it can multiply over. And at some point in the future, somebody might pick up my book and be like, oh yeah, that guy that did that thing four years ago. I know that name. Right. And the thing with books is that people never throw out books. Right. It's like the perpetual business card. They just, they never throw out books. So has it been like excruciatingly painful to write this? Yeah, it has. It's taken me forever. Is it a delayed release? Yeah, it's a delayed release, right? But I think what people miss is that I'm actually out there in the market doing deals and that's my real business, right? The book is like a side hustle thing that I think was fun and a lot of people will benefit from, right? And it will help perpetuate my name forward as a marketing tool, not necessarily today, right? And that's that's the biggest thing for me is where do I leverage my time? Yeah. So Ryan, what's your, what are your goals? I mean, are you looking to maybe build something big, uh, in the next, I don't know, five years, are you looking to acquire a certain number of doors? What, what is it that you're, you know, where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? What's your ultimate goal with all this? Yeah, I think the branding and and IP leverage that's making my business round out. So I've come and like we were talking about before, done a bunch of deals, right? Real estate was great. Construction was great. Very fluent in all those things. The branding and IP is kind of my next step. And then from there, I'll leverage that, rebuild my network and go into something bigger and greater in the future years beyond. But I do want to take this year, 2022, we're going to, we're going to date stamp this podcast because I know you're not supposed to do that. What the hell, right? 2022, right? I want to take that and I want to, I want to leverage that brand and upscale my network and, and meet new people and, you know, maybe enjoy life in 2022 as well. Like take a little bit of personal time and really reflect on all of the things that we've built over these last eight, 10 years of, you know, crushing deals. It's, that's what I want to do this year. I do. Yeah, no, I really like that. Cause you know, sometimes you get caught up and I think a lot of investors get caught up with, okay, like I closed on this deal today. Like now you, you start feeling like this, like, okay, got to get my next deal. Right. Like that's just literally what it is while you're signing papers, like at the lawyer's office, you're like thinking like, okay, where's the next deal going to come from, right? Yeah, I'm totally that guy. I, at least I used to be that guy and I still am, but I'm, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm learning yeah, my boundaries. No, now. for sure. It is. It is. It is. Um, it's a catch 22 almost, right? Like you need those next deals, but then you're only as good as your next, your last deal in real estate in, in this type of business, right? So you do feel that need to keep propelling forward, but it does get exhausting sometimes. It can. You can totally burn out. I've been there. I've been there probably a couple of times. You know, you, you start bouncing off the bottom and you're not making clear decisions and your team is affected and maybe your personal relationships are affected. If you have kids, your kids are affected, your family life is stressed. You know, like it's important to know where you stand if you zoom out and look at the overall big picture of life, right? And I know a lot of people my age, I'm 34. I know a lot of people my age that like they work, 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 and then they get sick, they pass away. Like that's, that's not good. You know, you don't want that. I don't want that. I'm really trying to realize and understand that 
yes, money is important. It, it's always important. That's like the, that's the lubricant of life, if you will. Like everybody has to have money. But when you step back and you say, okay, how much money do I need? That's very different than how much money do I want, right? And I think it was Tony Robbins that did this, this thing with one of his clients. And his client was like, I think I saw this on YouTube. His client was like, Tony, I want like a billion dollars. And Tony was like, oh, you want a billion dollars? That's great. Why do you want a billion dollars? He's like, because I want my own jet. Tony's like, oh, you want your own jet? Okay, what else? He's like, uh, I, want a, I want a sports car. Okay, what else? He's like, I want an island. Tony's like, okay, what else? And he just kept listing off all these things. And then Tony goes, um, so let's break this down. You want a billion bucks, right? That's a pretty lofty goal, right? That's like a Jeff Bezos, Amazon goal. That's a Facebook goal. Like that's a big goal. He goes, let's break this down, see how much money you really need. And he goes, so you want a jet? You didn't say it had to be your own. So maybe you rent that jet for, I forget what number he said, a million bucks a year, right? And you want a fancy car. Cool. So you could pretty much have any car you want for 500 grand, right? Any Ferrari, any Rolls Royce, any Lamborghini, any anything, right? You get a couple. And he goes, you want an island? Okay. Well, you know, you could probably buy an island for, let's say, one to 10 million. So he just kept going like this and like this and like this. And as he was leveling out with this investor, this guy realized like, oh, I don't need a billion dollars, like 50 million or a hundred million or 50 million, I think it was, would be more than sufficient, more than more money that I could ever spend, couldn't even spend the interest. Right. And by playing for 50 million instead of 1 billion, that's a considerably different business, right? 50 million is very achievable by anybody who's very dedicated. 1 billion is obviously very difficult to achieve and only the 1% of the 1% of the 1% can actually get there. You know, so really knowing, you know, looping back to what we were talking about before, really knowing yourself and knowing your goals and knowing where your ending point is to say, hey, yeah, I've succeeded. That's so clutch. So clutch. You just work until you die otherwise. Oh, that's yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I know. You, you've got a lot of wisdom for such a young guy. So, um, yeah. What do you read? What do you read, Ryan? I don't really read much, honestly. Where, where do you get all this? Um, YouTube? I don't know. I just, I just try to, honestly, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, I watch some YouTube for sure. But like, I'm a big believer in a lot of the Gary Vee stuff. Truthfully, I think he's great. Um, whatever pops up on my YouTube feed, I'll watch it. Sometimes it's a, like a Tony Robbins thing or a Gary Vee thing, or sometimes it's a you know a, a no name person, so to speak, like not a big brand name type of influencer type of thing. I've never read like people like oh what do you mean? like I've never read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I've never read How to Win Friends and Influence People. I've never read a lot of those a lot of those books. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't know like yeah I, I don't know, I read a couple books a year. I think I'd like to read a book a week moving forward because I think it's interesting. Are you a big uh, like routines guy? Do you have a you know a certain morning routine that you kind of live by? Like you know some of our previous guests, uh, you know, is that something that you're very disciplined about? Yeah, for for sure. So um, I believe to work from home, you have to be extremely disciplined to actually get shit done, right? Or you could goof around, you could do the laundry, and you could make meals for three hours, and you could do all this stuff. So for me, I'm a big believer that I get up, I do my thing. Right. I work in 15 minute time blocks. I have a CRM that keeps me on task. Right. It's a very basic, less annoying CRM. That's the CRM that I use for anybody listening. Right. It's like, I don't know, 12 bucks a month or something. It was really inexpensive. But I work in 15 minute time blocks. And the 15 minute time block is enough that I can schedule a call with somebody with a clear, a clearly defined entrance and exit. Right. And it's enough time that we can get to the point without being too short or too long. I think that's important. I try to schedule my existing business in the mornings and I try to schedule my new business in the afternoons, right? I find my weeks generally consist 
to be a little bit, or they're, they're generally more front-ended. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is a heavier workday than a Thursday, Friday. Um, that's not necessarily by design, but that's more so because people rely on me at the beginning of the week to get their stuff going. Whereas at the end of the week, we've already had that discussion. Um, so that's really important as well. I think that um, having a CRM is like a godsend for me because like literally you just can't keep all that stuff in your head, you know? And as we continue to grow the business and scale the business and try to be more efficient with our time, eventually you just burn out, right? You burn out. So you got to write this stuff down. Super important. That's how I do my day. Yeah, no, it's, it's simple things like that, right? Simple things you learn from people who are, who are doing and, and, and it is a big operation. Yeah. Maybe people who aren't in development and, and large renovations don't quite understand the scale of what you're doing, but I, I think it's commendable. Like, I mean, that's a lot of job sites and that's a lot of trades and a lot of employees and a lot of materials and a lot of budgeting. Like there's, there's just so many layers to what you're doing. Materials. Don't even get me started on the price of lumber <laughs> right now. Oh man. Yeah. I hear you. That's why I said it. Cause uh, you know, it's, yeah. been, it's been a whirlwind out there. So oh, yeah. COVID has really made a, made a changing landscape for sure for both the price of real estate. It's just gone insane, but also to the cost of materials, you know, and I think it's been disproportionate. The cost of materials, I think lumber went up first. And then when lumber went up, people were like, Oh, the drywall is going up because lumber went up. And it's like, well, what does drywall have to do with wood? Nothing. Right. Nothing at all. And oh, they blame the supply chain and they blame all these problems. But like, I don't know, concrete didn't go up. Concrete's about the same. So what happened there? Concrete was okay? Like, I I don't know. I I just think there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions that I ask as to why things happen the way they do. Yeah, for sure. So what's your favorite quote? My favorite quote. Ooh, there was a quote by Eric Thomas that I, re- and now that you've asked me, it's completely slipped my mind. Um, oh no, I know what it is. Yeah. So there's this quote by the guy named Eric Thomas. Uh, he goes by Eric, Eric Tom, ET, the hip hop preacher. Right. And his quote likens to something like this. Um, he says, if you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. Right. And I didn't fully understand that quote until he told the story. So I'll tell the story here. So I found him on YouTube, right? Maybe this is one of the things that I watch on YouTube. Um, I found him on YouTube. It was just like this guy. I didn't know who he was. And uh, he gets up and he's talking in front of a classroom. You can still find this clip on YouTube today. And he's talking in front of a classroom and, and he's saying that he found a mentor. And uh, his mentor says, like, how bad do you want to succeed? And I'll paraphrase the story. How bad do you want to succeed? He goes, really bad. And he goes, you want to succeed, you know, more than you want to party? You want to succeed more than you want to go and drink beer? Do you want to succeed more than you want to sleep in on the weekends? It's like, yeah, I want to succeed. Right. So he says, okay, meet me down at the lake at three in the morning on such and such a day. And we'll go from there. He goes, okay. So he goes down, he meets his mentor and his mentor says, uh, walk out in the water. He's like, walk out in the water. Like, what do I want to walk out in the water for? He goes, walk out in the water. So he walks out in the water, two steps, right? His mentor goes a little bit deeper. He follows him. His mentor goes a little bit deeper. He says, take more, two more steps. He takes two more steps. His mentor grabs his head and shoves his head under the surface. And his mentor's holding him down, holding him down. He's flailing and carrying on. Obviously, you can't breathe. And he brings him up. And as he's gasping for air, he says, if you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. And I thought, oh, my God, that is so true. So I sat there and I held my breath for two minutes. And I liken anybody at home listening to hold your breath for 
well, maybe not two minutes, but hold it for as long as you can without harming yourself. Right. And when you start to get that feeling of like anxiety and, oh, I just want to, I just want to breathe. I just want to, I just want to do something. I just got to move. You know, you start looking around. That's that feeling that you should have when you want to go out there and, and do deals or grow a business or be a better person, right? That's the feeling that you want to have. Because if you want to breathe as bad as you want to succeed, then you'll be successful, right? And I live by that. I think that's really important. Yeah, that's a oh, good story. Some, uh, <laughs> powerful words of wisdom. And uh, thanks for sharing the story because that, that really puts things into perspective instead of just the quote, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's interesting um, as parents, uh, well, at least for me, I always worry about my kids and, you know, whether they're going to have the desire or the passion to want to do things like it's, it, it's, I feel like we're growing up in a different world right now, right? With all this TV and screens and just Uber at your fingertips. Like my kids will ask me about like, oh, is a man going to bring our dinner tonight? Right? Ah, I love it. I love it. It's such a, <laughs> it's such a different world we're living in. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope that they feel passionate about something enough exactly like that story, right? Like it's, it ultimately comes down to whether it's entrepreneurship or whatever it is, are you, is it important enough the way that breathing is important enough to us to live, right? So is there something that you value or, or feel deeply enough about that you're willing to, to do what it takes? Yeah, hundred percent. I totally, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Agree so, more. No, I think that's, one of the, that's a great story. I really like it. <laughs> entrepreneurship is one of those things that I think is instilled in you you know, at any age, really, you could pick it up if you don't have it. Some people are born with it. Some people aren't. Um, it's just like being a good artist. You know, some people can paint and some people can't, right? Can you learn that skill? Yeah. Some people will have that skill just better than the next person. So like for any, for anybody's kids or your kids or whoever, you know, like maybe they have it, maybe they don't, but they got to be passionate about something, right? Well, this is it. They have to have the desire and, and that I don't, you're not born with, but it's, uh, some some have it and some don't, and I, I don't really know what the secret is there. But uh, it, 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 that's another discussion altogether. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, Ryan, it's been it's been a really good it's been a really good time, and we've learned so much from you. And I think that I'm excited about reading your book as well. I think there's there's so much to be learned about uh, thinking outside the box um, when it comes to real estate and and especially like we all talked about with the market the way it is. So you can go to the highestinvestuse.com and sign up for the wait list. So um, I urge everybody to do that. Hopefully you're thinking by the summer, we're hoping for a release. That's the plan. Summer 2022. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, I think that's all we had for today. Um, thank you again. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, we'll, and, um, we'll definitely link uh, some of your information in our show notes. If people want to get in touch, um, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, people can find me on Facebook at Ryan Carr or RW Carr Investment Co. You can find me on Instagram at RW Carr Investment Co. Uh, or I've got a new profile now with the new book. So the highest and best use on both of those platforms. Okay, awesome. Amazing. That's great. We'll link it in our show notes and hopefully people can go check it out and uh, definitely get the book when it comes out. And yeah, thanks again for your time. We, we, had, a great, we had a great time. All right, you guys. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. 
This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.